The uh, trouble with having people like John and Celeste talk before the sermon is, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> but we're going to give it a shot. So let us welcome the Word of God as we join in uh, the Gloria, glory to the Creator, the Christ, the Holy Spirit, three in one. Glory to the Creator. shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so it really is people and people, right? We hear about refugees and resettlement and all the ravages that come with um, modern life and particularly uh, modern warfare, and we come almost numb to the fact of that it's actual people. And when you meet the people coming off a bus, and somebody runs to bring you chai tea, and you feel the warmth, that you realize that we are people. If we pay attention, uh, we see and experience uh, this deep reality, which sounds trite, perhaps, um, a glib affirmation, but I think is anything but, because it is an awareness of our essential identity as children of God, joined one to the other, inextricably bound. Um, we're all descended from Lucy in the Great Rift Valley in Tanzania millennia ago. The genes in me and the genes in you and the genes of all the people of the world from our one ancestor, Lucy, and all the ways in which we have divided and desecrated our identity um, in the years since. So I think it's very apt that today we are thinking about this because the gospel lesson today from, the, from Mark um, has to do with paying attention, staying awake, taking heed, um, becoming aware, never allowing yourself to be overtaken uh, by the troubles at hand, but to see more deeply beneath the current passing circumstances of life to the abiding, unending presence of God, our fir how firm a foundation this deep reality, almost that we have to find ourselves in the basement to remind how the rest of us stands, how we remain standing. So this is the 12th consecutive reading from the Gospel of Mark, moving through uh, the Gospel as Jesus journeys from Galilee uh, down the river valley and then up into Jerusalem, uh, where he will meet his crisis, provoke his crisis, resulting in his death, his crucifixion, his burial, resurrection, and ultimately um, his ascent into heaven. So we're almost at the end of the liturgical year. We mark time in the church from 
the beginning of Advent, the four weeks before Christmas and then through Christmas, and Epiphany, the season of Epiphany and Lent, the Holy Week, the entry into Jerusalem, the Last Supper, the Crucifixion, the Resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and into the season of Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit, and then through again, and two weeks from today, we arrive back at the beginning of a new year, the start of an Advent on the 28th of November. Next week will be the reign of Christ. But today, these final words from the experiences of Jesus in his last week of his life as he's teaching in the courts of the temple. You will hear uh, in this passage reference a question posed to Jesus about the stones of the temple. Now, the stones of the temple are not random. It's not a field stone wall like you see around New England where you take scattered remnants of a glacial deposit and arrange them as best you can. The temple that was rebuilt by Herod, one of the greatest uh, building uh, programs of the ancient world, actually. Herod was called the Great, uh, not because he was particularly wise, um, or a uh, skilled military leader. He was called Herod the Great because he built a lot of stuff, big things. And the biggest glorious of all was the rebuilding of the Second Temple, sometimes called, because it was such a massive rebuild, sometimes called the Third Temple. I'm reminded of uh, driving around Fairfield um, in the last 10 years where you'll see, you know, a two-bedroom expanded cape that gets remodeled, and it comes out the other end of 6,000-foot estate, right? Still the same house, still under the same zoning regulations, because you didn't tear down the old house, but baby, it's a new house. The same way with Herod, okay? So Herod's temple was composed of stones, limestone, that were 35 feet long. 35 feet long, 18 feet deep, and 12 feet tall. These are not field stones picked out of the dirt in New England. And so when the disciples say, Jesus, look at those stones, they're not saying, Jesus, look at those stones. They're saying, Jesus, look at those stones. <laughs> Don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> oh, did you shut the camera off, David, during that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's in the ether. It'll never be gone. How can I scrub that? So as they came out of the temple where Jesus had been teaching, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones, what large buildings. And Jesus replied, Do you see these great buildings? Now imagine this. These, these are rubes from the country. I mean, they've just fallen off the back of a turnip truck. They've never seen anything like this before. It's like taking a little child out of Rustic County, Maine, blindfolding them and dropping them in midtown Manhattan. Look at these large buildings. He says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Now, they're thinking, now, wait a minute. It's taken Herod 40 years 
to build this, and it's all going to be gone. So they went across the Kidron Valley to sit on the Mount of Olives. Now, in the book of the prophet Zephaniah, it's foretold that the Messiah will come to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. The Kidron Valley lies to the east of Jerusalem. It's a very deep, it's a rift valley. It goes like it's just into, right into a V. So Jerusalem is on this side, the Mount of Olives is on the other, actually just a little bit higher. So when you're looking across, you're looking down onto the Temple Mount. And so they go there because Zephaniah has said, this is the place from which the Messiah will come. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked to speak with him privately. Tell us, when will this be, what you have said? What will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And then Jesus replied to them, saying, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many people will come in my name, and they will say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars, rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This take place. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and fires and floods in various places. There will be famines. But this is but the beginnings of the birth pangs of a new age. It's a commonplace literary device in ancient literature when times are desperate, when it seems as though all hope is lost, to fall into what's called apocalyptic literature. Apocalypse means the showing forth, as we've noted before. Apocalypse doesn't necessarily mean a conflagration, but pulling back the curtains, allowing us to see clearly. This is called Mark's Little Apocalypse. It's kind of a cute title, Mark's Little Apocalypse, right? You could get one for Christmas. I'm sure it's in a catalog somewhere. Okay. The showing forth of a better age. It's bad now, the literature says. It's terrible now, but the good times are coming. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Remain strong, steadfast. Don't let go. Hold on. The wrongs will be righted, and the wrongdoers will come to their end. And that's really what Jesus is saying. Take heed, pay attention, look at what's really happening. Don't allow yourself to become caught up in all the bad news. I have spent my entire life being a voracious reader of newspapers. I can barely bring myself to crack open the newspaper anymore. I do. It's a civic responsibility and a religious mandate. But boy, in all the ways in which our lives feel caught up in such... It, it really feels in many days like we've gone off the rails, doesn't it? 
And Jesus is saying, because he lived in a time just like this. Every generation thinks it's never been worse. Right? Read what Socrates wrote about the generation that was coming up after him. He thought civilization was come to an end within a generation in the fourth century before the birth of Jesus. So, you know, these predictions of the end, as in destruction, are never really come to pass. These are days in which we are called upon by Jesus to take heed, that is to say, to pay attention to the real facts, not the passing facts, the circumstances, the temporary problems that beset us, but to go more deeply, to find ourselves standing on that firm foundation, that solid ground. For we are built not on shifting sand, but on the bedrock, which is God. This is one of the great things about what we do here. It's not for us to repair the world in toto. We can never complete the work. But neither are we free to desist from it. Tikkun olam, to repair the world, to recognize what is broken, and to fix that which we can fix. That's what we're doing day by day as a body of believers and individuals in our daily life, as a light to the nations, a beacon of hope, to take heed that God is with us, will not forsake us, will see us through whatever troubles it is that besets and befalls us in this particular way, day, and carry us and direct us and carry us on in creating with God a different kind of future. I believe, for instance, that helping to resettle refugees from Afghanistan is not only the work of God, and as it surely is, I believe, as John has pointed out, it is also the work of the nation. In a very real way, the mess that is Afghanistan today is a product of our intervention. And people whose lives are endangered in Afghanistan today are endangered because of their association with us. We have a moral responsibility as a people, as a nation, to do everything we can to save them from a fate which we have borne a great deal of responsibility. So let us take heed, not give up, don't lose hope, hold on. Look, look, for Advent is coming. Christ will be born again in the Bethlehem of our spirits, the Messiah. Let us welcome him with a world that is fit to receive him. Amen.